At certain times in history, various leaders have galvanized and inspired communities, regions, and nations to action. And during the dark days of World War II, Prime Minister Winston Churchill gave numerous speeches to unite and strengthen the spirit of the British people. When Adolf Hitler and the Third Reich appeared to be on their way to conquering the Western world, Prime Minister Winston Churchill addressed the House of Commons on June 14, 1940. He said, quote, Hitler knows that he will have to break us in this land or lose the war. If we can stand up to him, all Europe may be free and the life of the world may move forward into broad, sunlit uplands. But if we fail, then the whole world, including the United States, including all that we have known and cared for, will sink into the abyss of a new dark age, made more sinister and perhaps more protracted by the lights of perverted science. Let us therefore brace ourselves to our duties and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its commonwealth last for a thousand years, men will still say this was their finest hour. On December 7, 1941, the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, and they destroyed airplanes on the airfields and ships docked in the harbor. The next day, Frank, Franklin Roosevelt, President of the United States, addressed a joint session of Congress. He said, Yesterday, December 7, 1941, a day which will live in infamy, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. He further stated, with confidence in our armed forces, with unbounding determination of our people, we will gain the inevitable triumph, so help us God. End of quote. These historic times and speeches inspire nations and peoples to action. And words in that sense have great effect and have great power. God tells us that we have a tremendous responsibility in how we use our words and how we communicate and how we affect others. We can use words for good, or we can use them for evil. Turn to uh, the chapter on the untamable, uh, the untamable tongue. The chapter on the untamable tongue. You all know where that is. <clears throat> James, the third chapter, verse 1. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment those who teach need to teach truth and accurate knowledge. Verse 2, For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, James 3, verse 2, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle the whole body. Do I stumble in word? Do you stumble in words? And if we do, we are not controlling our words or our body. On the other hand, if we don't stumble in word, we have a godly discipline. We need to pray for the character and the discipline for our conversation, our speech, and our communication. Uh, James colorfully describes the power of the tongue here in verse 3 as an instrument of communication. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths so that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. A huge horse can be controlled just by a bit in its mouth. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and driven by fierce winds, 
they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. When you see some of these huge oil tankers that are, what, 500 or 700 feet long or even longer, it's that rudder that can turn that huge ship. Verse 5, even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Verse 8, But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. What a powerful instrument you have. Can you tame that tongue? James describes that powerful effect of words. He says, see how great a forest a little fire kindles. It only takes one little match. And as we know, in October 2007 in Southern California, those firestorms destroyed more than 500,000 acres and at least 1,700 homes. One of those homes was the home that we, my wife and I lived in for almost four years, a rental home in Rancho Bernardo. And dozens of homes in our neighbor, neighborhood were burned down. How did that fire begin? It didn't take much to start that fire. Just one little match can cause untold destruction. And a few careless words can cause untold destruction. So how much destruction has your tongue or mine caused by undisciplined speech? James continues here in chapter 3 with the problem of uncontrolled emotional communication. Verse 9, With it, the tongue, we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. You shouldn't be schizophrenic. You need to be whole in how you speak and your thoughts and your very character. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt, water, and fresh. The point here is that undisciplined and double-minded human beings are not all there. They're inconsistent in their thought, their words, and their conduct. We need godly character. So we need that singleness of heart and that singleness of purpose. We need to understand the effect of positive communication and negative communication. We need to understand words that are encouraging and words that produce evil. We also need to understand the power of words, and we need to take responsibility for our thoughts and our words. The title of the sermon today is Power, the Power of Words. So how many times have you hurt others with your words? Perhaps most likely in your family, maybe a parent towards a child or a husband towards a wife or vice versa. Perhaps your own family, yesterday or today, you've hurt them with words. How many times have you, on the other hand, encouraged others and helped others towards God's way of life by your words? Turn to Matthew, the 12th chapter. Again, a very powerful and foundational word that has to do with our salvation. 
and our character, because our character has to do with our ultimate salvation. Matthew, the second chapter, 12th chapter, and verse 34. God has given us, humans, the gift of language, but he's also given us a responsibility in using that gift. How important is that responsibility? Matthew 12 and verse 34. Jesus says, A tree is known by its fruit. That's the subhead in the New King James. Verse 33, he says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, he says, How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Now, I hope that all of you have that underlined. It is a key fundamental truth and principle of character and communication. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's verse 34. Jesus goes on in verse 35. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. An evil, evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. And then verse 36, another powerful statement for all of us. Very sobering. We need to, again, accept the responsibility of that verse, verse 36. But I say to you that every for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For every idle word men shall speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. What is your character like? What, what fruit are you bearing? Uh, Jesus said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. And in John fifteen five, uh, he said, He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. In other words, there are going to be good fruit from the heart and the character, and it's going to be displayed and communicated with appropriate words and communication. Uh, Jesus also said, also said in John fifteen eight. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so will you be my disciples. But the key here is out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But what does the heart symbolize? The heart is described, as you know, in Jeremiah 17.9. I'm just curious, how many of you know Jeremiah 17.9? Can I see your hands? Okay, about uh, 42% of you know the heart. It is a foundational description of human nature. And sometimes we excuse ourselves by saying, well, that's my human nature. It's not me. It's the human nature I have in me, you know. Well, you are human nature, excuse me. You know, Jeremiah 17, 9. Uh, it says in the NIV that the heart is uh, deceitful above all things and beyond cure. The heart can signify the nature or state of a person's character. The Holman Bible Dictionary states, the heart, uh, as the center of physical life, the heart came to stand for a person as a whole. Or it is also considered to be the center of the physical, mental, and spiritual life of humans, that is, symbolically. The NIV Study Bible defines the heart as the center of one's being, including mind, will, and emotions. But what really defines what you are? Uh, what is a real person? That's another subject, but uh, it's found, uh, foundational and fundamental, so 
I'll mention it here. From the Bible, the real person, who you really are, is the spirit in man combined with your brain. That's who you are. And then you need to become something more than that, so God adds the Holy Spirit so that you can be his begotten child. The human brain connects all the physical body parts to a central command center, the brain, thus integrating body and spirit. So what kind of a heart, mind, spirit do you have out of the abundance of the heart? The mouth speaks. Do you have a selfish heart? Do you have a loving heart? Do you have a truthful heart? Do you have a pure heart? And Jesus said, the pure in heart, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You can refer to uh, sermon number 49 in the sermon library, which is quite a few years ago now. Uh, how pure is your heart? So the key here is in Matthew, the 12th chapter, two key verses, verse 34 and verse 36. And Jesus said, But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. Now, would you like to have your words, supposing you were recorded, all of the words you said were recorded in 24 hours. Would you like to have them played back to you? It's a, you've seen uh, on television, perhaps, police sting operations in which community leaders have been videotaped conducting illegal operations or transactions. Uh, Network News plays these recordings for the whole nation to hear. And the individual at the time didn't think that his words promoting illegal activity would be broadcast to the whole nation. There is a uh, phenomenon as a result of YouTube. YouTube is a website on the Internet where people can contribute their own uh, productions, video productions, and so forth. An interesting result of YouTube for people who are watching it. One convenience store clerk was on duty one night, and a robber came in, and he demanded cash. And the clerk thought, what will this look like on YouTube if I run away? So he took a bat and began to start battling the robber. YouTube had an effect on this man's behavior. Another example was an aggressive driver who would normally uh, not wait for pedestrians, but he came to a, an intersection, and a lady and two children were about to cross the intersection, and he thought, what would this look like on YouTube if I aggressively drive and almost run over the lady and her two children? So he stopped his car. It changed his behavior. The moral of the story is that when people know they're being watched, they behave differently. And when people know their speech is being recorded, they are more careful in choosing their words. Uh, today's Charlotte Observer newspaper had a headline about the eavesdropping law, which, of course, is to try to prevent terrorism so that our intelligence service can uh, eavesdrop on telephone calls and find out if there is any potential terrorist action. Both the House and the Senate versions would make it easier for the government to eavesdrop on international phone calls and emails, and it would remove barriers against collecting purely foreign communications that pass through a server in the United States. But President Bush says he will veto the bill because it does not protect telecom companies from lawsuits. The point is, would you change your words 
if you knew the government was listening in. Now, years ago, uh, one of our lawyers in a ministerial conference advised us as ministers who are speaking publicly, always speak in your congregations as if there is a reporter in the audience. And I've remembered that over the years. I hope I don't forget it either, because some of our ministers ended up being on the front page of newspapers and one in Time magazine because of political statements that were inappropriate for a minister. So would you change your thoughts and your words if you knew that the government or someone else was recording your speech or listening in? Would you change your thoughts and words if you knew God was listening in? He's listening in all the time, and he knows your thoughts all the time. Uh, Luke, the 12th chapter, we can just turn over there briefly and understand the impact of our conduct, our thoughts, and our words. God knows we're carnal. We have carnal nature. Uh, but he wants us to be able to deal with our carnal thoughts. And Jesus had terrible thoughts come into his mind when Satan said, bow down and worship me. That was a horrible thought that entered in Christ's mind. But he fought that thought with Scripture. And he said, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So wrong thoughts can come into our mind, but we have to deal with them. We deal them with God's word and God's character. So here in Luke, the 12th chapter, and verse 2, Jesus said, For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. Now, that can have a positive and a negative approach. Obviously, God wants the gospel to go out to the whole world. But the moral is, again, that we will give account for every idle word, so we need to what? Monitor our words, and we need to monitor our thoughts. Now, there is one blessing in all of this process when we have wrong thoughts, when we say wrong words or evil words. If we acknowledge our sinful and offensive speech and ask God for forgiveness, he will forgive us. And in preparation for the Passover, we examine ourselves so that we can understand our need for forgiveness. We heard a sermon by Mr. Rod McNear here a couple weeks ago on the subject. And I hope you've all read uh, Dr. Meredith's LCN Dear Brethren letter, uh, We Must Be Forgiven in the Current LCN. So God will remove our sins as far as the east is from the west. That's in Psalm 103. And we can be thankful that he'll do that. But remember that the emotional pain that we may have inflicted on someone else by our abusive words may remain for a long time. So we have lessons to learn. Let's just read that in Psalm 103 uh, because it is such a wonderful promise for us when we offend people by our words, we need to ask forgiveness as long as we acknowledge our sins. Psalm 103, starting with verse 11, For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. Verse 12, Psalm 103, As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. 
As a father pities his children, so the Eternal pities those who fear him, for he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. So God will forgive us, but we need to pray for those that we may have offended. And of course, in 1 John 1 9, it tells us to confess our sins. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He goes on to say, if we have not sinned, 1 John 1.10, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So we thank God for his forgiveness, but we have to acknowledge our sins and be determined to change. So in summary of this particular section, God has given us a fantastic gift of language and human communication, and we have an awesome responsibility to use that gift to God's honor and glory. And Jesus said in Matthew 12:34, "For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks, and for every idle word men shall speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment." So if our heart determines to a great extent the words we speak, how can we educate our heart or really our mind and our thinking? The heart is symbolic of our character and identity as we've seen. So if we are to produce good communication, we need to start with sound thinking and godly thoughts. Turn to Isaiah 55, verse 8. Some of you know where we're headed there. Isaiah 55 and verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways, nor are your ways my ways, says the Eternal. What a contrast between our nature our practice, our daily activities, and the way we conduct them. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, Isaiah 55, verse 9, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. But God gives us his thoughts in the Bible. And I remember, I think I shared that with you, asking my wife one time at, uh, about what is one of the best gifts that God has given us. And she said, well, we can think the thoughts of God. God has given us his thoughts, and we need to practice that. And, of course, Philippians 4.8, Mr. Partian's favorite one, and uh, several others of us who have uh, Philippians 4.8, that uh, finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of a good report, if there be any virtue, or if there be any praise or anything praiseworthy, think on these things. Sometimes when I'm troubled, I'm trying to get to sleep, I think, think on those things that are lovely. What's, what's lovely? What have I seen that's lovely? Oh, yes. The rainbow coming out of the bay in, in uh, Kauai, in Hawaii. Oh, yes. The uh, Matterhorn that I saw when I woke up that morning in the bed in the hotel, and the Matterhorn was framed right in the window as I woke up. You know, all these beautiful scenes that you've seen over the years and uh, the beautiful cherry tree blossoms along Crown Center Drive that we'll see here in another few weeks, we hope. So you think on those things. You, we have to educate our thinking, our mind, and our thoughts. Let's turn to Psalm 1. We uh, sang that. Is that today, or we sang that recently? Psalm 1, blessed and happy is the man. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Now, he's listening to his peers. He's listening to the worldly thoughts and carnal activities and 
selfish and uh, evil ways, nor stands in the path of sinners. He's not on the same pathway as those sinners. He gets out of the way. The one proverb that says when you perceive in the uh, mouth of a foolish person uh, the lips of knowledge are not in him, go from the presence of a foolish man when you perceive not in him the lips of knowledge. You don't stick around. You don't try to absorb carnal, substandard uh, ideas and attitudes, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, just always criticizing, always looking for the loose brick, always carnal attitudes. But his delight is in the law of the eternal, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. Its leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. I think, oh, whatsoever he does shall prosper. That's a fantastic promise. But we have to meditate on God's law day and night. So how do you meditate? You choose a topic. Uh, You ask questions about that topic. How, who, what, where, when, why. I think I told you the story years ago of how I was meditating on the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. And I was just thinking in bed there at the the dormitory at the ambassador. And I was just thinking about all the years that uh, my father and mother had helped and cared for me and my sister. And it just hit me all of a sudden how my mom must have changed my diapers for so many years. And somehow that just struck me. And I just bawled and bawled and realized the the unconditional love and care that my mother had had towards me and how I in my teenage years and younger years had not shown the kind of honor and respect that I should towards towards them. But you meditate, you think about a particular topic, and you re- or you can review a section of Scripture and ask what lesson or major point have I learned. Uh, Dr. Meredith has given a sermon, which is in our tape library, The Power of Meditation, number 300, an easy one to remember. The New Unger's Bible Dictionary gives this definition or description of meditation. Quote, A private devotional act consisting in deliberate reflection upon some spiritual truth or mystery, accompanied by mental prayer and by acts of the affection and of the will, especially formation of resolutions as to future conduct. Meditation is a duty that ought to be attended to by all who wish well to their spiritual interests. It should be deliberate, close, and continuous, and gives the reference Psalm 1, verse 2, in Psalm 119, verse 97. You know Psalm 119, verse 97, Oh, how love I thy law! It is my meditation all the day. So what do you listen to? If we're going to re-educate our thoughts and our thinking, we are influenced by what we hear. Let's turn to Luke, the 8th chapter. Luke 8, and verse 17. Luke 8, and verse 17. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed. Luke eight seventeen. Nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. We all read uh, Matthew's account, I believe it was. Verse 18. Therefore, take heed how you hear. For whoever has, to him more will be given. 
and whoever does not have, even to what he seems to have, will be taken from him. And as we had in the CAD update from Dr. Winnell, his commentary, take time to think. And again, he referred to Psalm 119, verse 97. He writes in his commentary, if we want to grow and be prepared for the coming kingdom of God, we need to take time to think and meditate on the word of God, read a psalm every morning or evening, and meditate on the subjects mentioned in Philippians 4.8, which we quoted earlier. We can develop the mind of God if we think on these things. That's from the commentary, Take Time to Think. Jesus said in John 15 and verse 3, Now are you clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. That's the King James Version. So as we re-educate ourselves, as we think on God's words, we realize the power of those words, because as Jesus said in John 6.63, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. So brethren, we need to educate our hearts and minds to the truth, then we can speak the truth. Now, as we approach the Passover, we need to consider our commitments. Are you determined to change? Are you determined to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ? Some of us are hard-headed. Some of us are unteachable. I'm talking to brethren around the world here now. And some of us are resistant to growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Uh, There are others like... Calvin and Calvin and Hobbes, who is like that. At times, he is unteachable. And in this particular episode, Calvin, of course, is the precocious young boy with the tiger who is his friend. And this is in the context of New Year's resolutions. Now, of course, our New Year begins here in just a couple weeks, and uh, the first uh, sacred uh, day of the uh, calendar year. And... um, Calvin is saying, uh, the Hobbes says to uh, Calvin, they're walking through the snow, did you make any resolutions for the new year? And uh, Calvin says, blank, no. I'm fine just the way I am. Why should I change? In fact, I think it's high time the world started changing to suit me. I don't see why I should do all the changing around here. If the new year requires resolutions, I say it's up to everyone else, not me. I don't need to improve. Everyone else does. He turns to the tiger, to Hobbes, and says, How about you? Did you make any resolutions? And Hobbes says, Well, I had resolved to be less offended by human nature, but I think I blew it already. (laughs) So we need to educate our hearts and minds, and when we're converted, we learn a new way of thinking. Our thoughts should be and must be based in reality and in God's truth. We think about the two great commandments and the Ten Commandments. We meditate on God's law and His Word. And then, out of the abundance of a truthful heart, we can speak the truth. We need to educate our thoughts, our heart, and mind with the truth. I'm going into another section here, the wrong use of the tongue. We all have human nature, and as we approach the Passover, we need to examine our character and our nature. What are your weakest points in your character? 
or in your morality? What are you easily, most easily tempted to do that is wrong? What are your greatest character flaws that might give in to temptation if you're not on guard? The Bible gives us warnings against the misuse of tongue and the wrong use of words. And, of course, the first one to misuse words and lie was Satan as he seduced Adam and Eve by lying. He's called the father of lies in John 8, verse 44. He is the arch deceiver. But there are several scriptures that are helpful. Proverbs 16, if we uh, turn Proverbs 16 and verse 21. Proverbs 16. By the way, there are 103 verses in just Proverbs alone that contain the words lips, tongue, word, or words. And as a suggestion, I encourage you to use a highlighter or a marking pen to highlight those words in your Bible. In uh, Proverbs 16 and uh, verse 21, The wise in heart shall be called prudent, and the sweetness of the lips increases learning. Or in the Moffat translation, a wise man is esteemed for being pleasant. His friendly words add to his influence. Then verse uh, 23, The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips. Pleasant words are as in honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. Again, uh, in Moffat, uh, Good sense makes men judicious in their talk. It adds persuasiveness to what they say. Kindly words are like a honeycomb, both sweet and healthful. Do uh, nations and other groups misuse words purposely? Let me share something here with you about uh, author H.G. Wells, who wrote, uh, died in 1946, uh, said, Advertising is legalized lying. Historian I.F. Stone, who uh, lived uh, till 1989, said, quote, Every government is run by liars. Nothing they say should be believed, end of quote. Adolf Hitler in Mein Kampf, Volume 1, Chapter 10, said, quote, The vast masses of the nation are a more easy prey to a big lie than a small one, for they themselves often tell little lies, but would be ashamed to tell a big one. As we know, the world has agonized and suffered terribly because of lies and deception, and it will suffer more in the future because of deception. Do governments actually have policies to deceive and lie? I just read the one by Stone. Every government is run by liars. Nothing they say should be believed. Then from Winston Churchill, from his book, The Second World War, Volume 2, from Tehran to Rome, page 338, Winston Churchill says, quote, In wartime, truth is so precious that she should always be attended by a bodyguard of lies. End of quote. Well, nations use propaganda. Nations lie. And we're going to be a nation of truth-tellers. God has called us to tell people in the world tomorrow, in tomorrow's world, this is the way, walk you in it. So do we ever lie? Do we ever shade the truth? Are we ever sorry for something we've said? 
Uh, perhaps you've insulted someone out of an attitude of revenge or out of hate. Perhaps you've slandered someone to them, maybe to themselves, uh, to their face, or maybe behind their back. And perhaps you've verbally abused someone. All of those sins can be transgressions of the Ninth Commandment, which says, the Ninth Commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That's Exodus 20, verse 16. I hope that you've read uh, Dr. Meredith's booklet on the Ten Commandments, and certainly uh, it's very beneficial to go over it once again, even if you have. This is what he writes with regard to the Ninth Commandment in the Ten Commandment booklet. Quote, It is only in seeking and bearing witness to the truth that man is associated with God, because God is truth. For in fact, God is truth. <laughs> Just reading what he said. Jesus said, your word is truth, John 17, 17, and I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. No matter what other faults and weaknesses a person may have, if he is willing to speak the truth, live openly and truthfully what he really is, and acknowledge the truth when it is shown him, that person can be respected and helped to overcome personal weaknesses. End of quote. So God wants us to overcome our human nature, and he gives us the power to overcome our human nature. But we must first face the truth of our carnal nature, and we must realistically identify our sins and wrong habits. And if you don't know what they are, just ask your wife or your husband or your children or your parents, and they can tell you. Dr. Meredith also writes a person, quote, can acknowledge the truth when it is shown him, if a person can do that, that person can be respected and helped to overcome personal weaknesses. So the implications for speaking and acknowledging the truth are far-reaching. As he says, quote, the far-reaching spiritual applications of the Ninth Commandment are tremendous. There is a personal living Almighty God of this universe whose ways and laws are intrinsically right. Therefore, an honest person, how many of you are honest? An honest person, one who is willing to speak the truth and acknowledge the truth when it is revealed, must eventually be converted to the true God and his ways. But if one's word is no good and one is the habit of lying to others and oneself, one's very character and mental processes are so twisted and perverted so as to prevent understanding the truth of God until one's lying mind is cleaned up. He writes, that is why it is so vitally important that even though people may have honest differences of opinion on many matters, we all learn to live and speak truthfully. Yet we are living in a society that is increasingly permeated by various forms of untruth, hypocrisy, and self-deception. If we are ever to build the character of God and inherit eternal life, we must consider the ninth commandment in all of its ramifications and learn to obey it. And you realize that a person who cannot tell the truth will not be converted because he cannot admit the reality of his own sins. And it's so important that we are able to acknowledge reality, to acknowledge our own sins. And if you're honest, as Dr. Meredith said, and truthful, it will lead to conversion. Let's turn to James, the first chapter, James 1. And again, we have instruction on the use of our tongue, the control of our communication. 
James 1 and verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. You know, when you're praying in the outline prayer, when it says, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, what is one of God's names? He is the giver of every good and perfect gift. Now, I think about that when I'm thinking about God's name, that every good and perfect gift comes down from Him. He's the Father of lights. Of course, of His own will, one of the most inspiring, encouraging verses to me in the Bible, of His own will, God looked down on each of us individually. Of His own will, He brought us forth, or in the King James, begotten us by the word of truth, that we may be kind of a, be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Well, God looked at all the 6.5 billion people around the face of the earth and decided to beget you, if indeed you have repented and have received God's Holy Spirit. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. So again, in communication... Are you doing it that way? I was talking with one uh, individual recently who said he's disciplining himself to listen twice as much as he speaks. So one-third speaking and two-thirds listening. And he said it's been making a difference in his communication. Be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And then, of course, he goes on to say in verse 26, If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, that one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So character and deeds must demonstrate the genuineness of our words. Turn back to Leviticus, the 19th chapter. Leviticus 19. And here we have a warning about passing on wrong information. Leviticus 19 and verse 16. Leviticus 19, verse 6, I'm uh, sorry, let's start with uh, verse 15. Leviticus 19:15. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go about as a talebearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the eternal. You shall not be a talebearer. Again, we have to be very careful about gossip and our motivation, our careless words and trying to pass on information that is not accurate or is not beneficial to the hearer. Verse 17, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. And you've seen on television uh, the interventions. There are families who might have someone who's alcoholic and the person is in denial. And they'll set a time when the family will all get together, the person's boss, the employer, and they all surprise him all at one time and, in a sense, stick his nose into the reality of his drinking problem, or it might be some other kind of uh, behavioral problem. That's a kind of intervention that people have. 
And so it's important that when someone has a problem that you don't ignore it. If your husband is a, an alcoholic uh, or family member or someone else, I'm not thinking of anyone here, by the way, uh, you know, you need to bring it to his attention and try to make him face up to that reality. So, again, we have this whole matter of bringing it to the one's attention. He goes on to say here, You shall not take vengeance, verse 18, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the eternal. When he says, don't go about as a talebearer, he says, I am the eternal. Mr. Weston gave an inspiring sermon along that line. When God says, I am the eternal, in juxtaposition to some other instruction, you better listen. It's extremely important. We need to have the fear and the reverence of God and respond to His instructions. Now, again, uh, there's a misapplication. I think I've told you about that before. He says, uh, uh, you shall uh, not hate your brother. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. And we had uh, in the past in one congregation, I pastored a a self-appointed spot remover who uh, went around to the congregation and told everyone their sins. And um, he was he was using this scripture as uh, part of his uh, reason. He was causing division within the church and dissension, and he was not a peacemaker, and he was not applying the scripture in a beneficial and a right way. But he says, don't be a talebearer. That means gossip. And in the Living Church News, the next uh, one, May, June 2008, we have an, uh, an article by Mr. Apartian, On God Hates Gossip, he writes, Do you know what scourge victimizes more people every year than all the sicknesses and accidents in the world? Is the deadly poison of gossip. Mr. Partian continues, The Bible explains that Satan the devil is the accuser of the brethren, Revelation 12.10. One way he accuses us is by spreading rumors and causing gossip. He spread rumors about God. Satan told Adam and Eve that God had lied to them. He tempted them to doubt God's loving concern and to question his wonderful plan for all mankind to inherit eternal life. Just think, Mr. Partian writes, if you repeat something often enough, you end up believing it. And it is a tragedy, and I've seen it myself, where there are individuals who have an opportunity or, let's say, a penchant and a tendency to lie, do it so much that they believe their own lies and are that that much more convincing. And I've had it happen to me. Don't lie. And if someone catches you in a lie, try to take it very seriously. Because, as Mr. Apartian says, people say it so often, they they end up believing it. He writes, the carnal mind always seeks its own way, its own aggrandizement. It wants to be right. Self-justification is one way to achieve that goal. Accusation is another. Both help to shield our own mistakes. The carnal mind likes to be exalted. It will distort facts and twist statements to preserve its own presumed integrity. You may not realize it, but self-justification is linked to gossip. And again, that's another subject, the whole matter of self-justification. When someone brings up a problem, I remember one student leader bringing up a problem to me, and I started to justify myself. 
And he said, you're justifying yourself. And, oh, it really convicted me. It actually started to bring some tears to my eyes. I caught myself justifying myself. Now, that's different from establishing the facts, and uh, that's uh, you can go into that subject a little more, but we have to be careful not to be self-justifying. Do you realize how often, Mr. Partian writes, during conversations, you only hear what you want to hear? It's selective hearing. And not necessarily what was said. Likewise, when you repeat only what you wanted to hear, you present the information in such a way that you end up appearing innocent of any errors. But God commands, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, Exodus 20, verse 16. And just uh, have to read another paragraph. This is uh, so good, but you'll be reading it in the uh, LCN coming up. Remember, gossip is never the entire truth. It may be part of the truth or a shaded truth or a truth out of context, yet it is never the whole truth. But there is really no such thing as half-truth, a lie is a lie, whether white, black, or shaded. Here is a simple rule to remember. Before you say or repeat anything about your neighbor, be sure you have all the facts. And by definition, the facts will be true. Then ask yourself, am I loving my neighbor as myself when I repeat this? If not, you are breaking God's commandments. Let's turn to Exodus, the 23rd chapter, and a little more on this subject. Exodus, the 23rd chapter, and verse 1. When God says, I am the eternal, we need to pay attention. Well, we need to pay attention to the whole Bible, but he certainly gives extra emphasis when he invokes his name in relation to an instruction. Exodus 23, verse 1. You shall not raise a false report. Put not your hand to the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. So don't raise a false report. Then uh, verse 2. You shall not follow a multitude do evil to do evil. Neither shall you speak in a cause to decline after many to rest judgment. Then verse 7. Keep you far from a false matter and the innocent and the righteous slay you not, for I will not justify the wicked. There are many principles about uh, taming your tongue. In fact, I was uh, surprised going through my old files. I found my sermon notes of Mr. Partian's sermon given August 17, 1985, only uh, 12 and a half years ago. Number one killer of character, gossip. Very interesting. And, uh, well, I won't show you. You can read my notes if you want to see this later. But uh, there's a book here that tells us, it's it's an interesting book. It's uh, biblically based. 30 days, you know, 30 days to a more powerful vocabulary is one that speech students are aware of. This is 30 days to taming your tongue. I'll just share uh, part of it. It's got all the different kinds of uh, tongues. Um, the author quotes uh, Isaiah 50, verse 4, The Lord Eternal has given me the tongue of the learn, learned, or the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season. So God wants us to know how to speak the word in season. That's Isaiah 50, verse 4. Day 1, the lying tongue. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in men who are truthful. Proverbs 12.22. Day two, the flattering tongue. 
These people flatter others to get favors in return. Jude 1, 16. The author writes on page 17, Flattery is a lie covered in a bed of flowery words. Day 3. The manipulating tongue. Judges 16, 15. Then Delilah pouted. How can you say you love me when you don't confide in me? You've made fun of me these three times, and you still haven't told me what makes you so strong. You know, Delilah was manipulating, and she finally found out what made him strong. Then there's the, uh, I won't go through all of these, but I'll give you a few more. Day four, the hasty tongue. Proverbs 29.20. Do you see a man hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. And I think you've, uh, some of you have practiced the precept uh, when you start to get angry, count to ten before you say anything. You see a man hasty in his words. There is more hope of a fool than for him. Uh, the argumentative tongue, avoid a fight, is a mark of honor. Only fools insist on quarreling. Proverbs 20, verse 3. Self, uh, well, let me skip that one. The slandering tongue. To hide hatred is to be a liar. To slander is to be a fool. Proverbs 10, verse 18. The gossiping tongue. Proverbs 18, 8. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to a man's inmost parts. It's a perverted pleasure. It's a wrong pleasure. The belittling tongue, Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Uh, so I, I'll just uh, share with you some of the headings without reading the scriptures. The cynical tongue, the know-it-all tongue. Do you know anyone that's a know-it-all? The harsh tongue, tactless tongue, intimidating tongue, rude, judgmental, self-absorbed, cursing, complaining, retaliating, accusing, discouraging, doubting, loquacious tongue. Now, there's one. And the indiscreet tongue, the silent tongue. Speaking of the loquacious tongue... Uh, one study that was done on gossiping by Dr. Theodore Isaac Rubin in a book titled, What Gossiping Reveals About You. And he says, in fact, nearly everyone gossips to some extent, but some people carry it too far. To them, gossip becomes a chronic way of life that cannot be altered without psychiatric help. But why do people gossip? Dr. Rubin explains that some men and women, some men and women, are chronic mouth movers. They must either eat or talk. And many times they gossip just to keep their mouths moving, spouting a steady stream of words. Another major reason for gossip, boredom and apathy also breed gossip. Idle talk becomes a filler to compensate for empty hours. Lonely people whose lives have become dull and devoid of interest use gossip is a form of reaching out and relating. A repressed anger is perhaps the most common cause of malicious gossip. Many people cannot admit their anger towards someone else. Jealousy and envy are also common motives for gossip, says Dr. Rubin. The object of gossip is to put down that person so as to remove the craving for what that person owns. When we put down another person and we think we are raising ourselves, this is sure vanity. So those are some of the comments of the wounds and the evil use of tongue. Uh, 
and how we need to tame the tongue. But God, again, has given us the responsibility of using the gift of language to honor and glorify Him. Let's turn to 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. God's God's ministers must use words to preach. And so in 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, we use that gift to preach the gospel. Well, he tells us this way. Uh, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke. Is it all right for someone to use words to rebuke? Uh, God instructs his minister to do just that when it's called for. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching or doctrine as it has in the King James. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, and we've come to that time, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They want to hear something new, something different. They don't want to hear the truth, the foundational truths. They want to hear something that's way off in the, very on the twigs of the tree that's exotic. It's not wrong to be interested in twigs once in a while, as long as you're founded in the trunk of the tree. But you have to be well-founded in the trunk of the tree doctrines. In fact, we had a sermon by that title, Stick to the Trunk of the Tree. This is in our sermon library. Verse 4, And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. So again, remember what we read earlier in Luke 8, verse 17, Take heed how you hear. We had a sermon, uh, number 67, Ears to Hear. What is the key principle, the many key principles, but what is a key principle that instructs us in the right use of the tongue? We're talking about the positive use of the tongue. We've seen negative uses of the tongue. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. starting with verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And Mr. Meredith gave a very inspiring sermon, number 373, The Stature of Christ. If you haven't heard that, I recommend that you check that out of our library, The Stature of Christ, sermon number 373. So God's ministry is there for the purpose to help us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to the perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love. I'm just curious, how many of you in your Bibles have that phrase, speaking the truth in love, underlined? I'm just, uh, let's see, okay, good, about uh, ten, five ministers and five others. But speaking the truth in love, extremely important. You can speak the truth in hate. You can say, oh, well, uh, you know, uh, you uh, you got a pretty crooked nose there. 
you know, and the person is just trying to put them down. And I may have a crooked nose. I ha- actually do have a crooked nose, or have had one. And uh, But, you know, are you speaking the truth in love? You want to help the person. Matthew 18, 50, when, 15, when you have a problem with your brother, you go to your brother, and you do it not to put the person down, but to help the other person and to resolve a conflict. Speak the truth in love may grow up into him who is the head, grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. And we're thankful for the teamwork, the family unity we have here in the Charlotte congregation and other congregations around the world. We can do better. But we, every joint has to supply his or her part, its part. According to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So we then must speak the truth in love. And I hope you think about that as a daily principle that operates in your communication. It's internalized, it's a part of your character that you think you're speaking the truth with an attitude of outgoing concern, and you want the the true facts. Of course, our spokesman club has the speech, get the facts, and we want to be accurate. And, of course, every once in a while, we as ministers here in a sermon do what we call misspeak. Uh, we may, as I did one time, I was said, well, it was... Uh, uh, Brezhnev when it should have been Khrushchev. And uh, so we, we mistake, we make mistakes now and then. But we want to get the measure of the truth and the heart of the story that Christ is getting across to us, to speak the truth in love. Let's take a look at uh, one other proverb here, uh, Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16. As we speak the truth in love, we want to help others by what we're saying and, of course, as we preach the gospel, we're helping turn many to righteousness. We'll come back to that point perhaps a little later. Proverbs 16 and uh, verse 21. The wise in heart will be called prudent, and sweetness of the lips increases learning. Of course, he says the fear of the eternal is the beginning of knowledge, Proverbs 1.7. And the fear of the eternal is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 9.10. So are you teachable to have that reverence and alertness? The wise in heart shall be called prudent, and the sweetness of the lips increases learning. Verse 22, understanding is a wellspring of life to him who has it, but the correction of fools is folly. In other words, you try to correct a fool, but he can't take the correction and doesn't learn it because he's a fool. He doesn't want to change from being a fool, and that's sad. Understanding is a wellspring of life to him who has it. And I know when Mr. Armstrong was um, beginning to understand the spirit in man, I remember one minister in Big Sandy in a Bible study said, where did he get that idea? (laughs) Truth is easy to those who have understanding of the fundamental truth. It wasn't easy to this individual. He had something wrong with him. He couldn't understand reality and understand the fundamental truths of the Bible and therefore could not understand new truth as it was being revealed about the spirit in man, which is plain in 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, that there is a spirit in man, and that spirit in man defines the difference between animal brain and human mind. 
And that's, of course, Mr. Meredith has spoken about that in some of his sermons. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. So do you practice courtesy and mutual respect, or do you give words that are aggravating, that are provocative, that stir up strife? Like it says in Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up strife. I've told you the story before about the big bully uh, down there when I was walking home to my apartment and this little boy started throwing rocks at me. I'd gotten off the bus and I had about a mile walk from Virginia Beach to my, my uh, rental uh, apartment. And this little boy started throwing rocks at me. I said, is he throwing rocks at me? Another one whizzed by me. Yes, he's throwing rocks at me. <laughs> and so I, I went over to him. He had more rocks in his hands. I squeezed his hands so he would drop the rocks, and I went on. And uh, later on, as I got back, just about got into my apartment, and this big Eldorado Cadillac convertible comes up with a big guy in hairy legs and Bermuda shorts. And he said, did you touch my boy? I said, he was throwing rocks at me. And uh, he said, well, you shouldn't touch him. And I, he started coming at me, and I got my football, my, uh, you know, character up, and I'm about ready to, you know, uh, hit butt heads with him. And I said, I'd been reading Proverbs, Proverbs 15.1. said, I'm sorry, sir. He said, well, don't let it happen again. And, and he, he went off. A soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up strife. I could have gotten to a pretty good battle with him. I, I wouldn't, I don't think I would have gotten a slugfest with him. He was bigger than I was, but nonetheless. Um, do you aggravate others by your words? And I've encouraged my students over the years to learn five expressions in our speech classes that helps the communication process and, and promotes mutual respect. Those five words are, please, thank you, you're welcome, I'm sorry, and how can I help you? You know, if you just take those five phrases, you will improve your relationship with someone with whom you don't have a good relationship just with those five phrases. Now, again, people in the South have grown up with respect and uh, show that respect in their communication to uh, their parents, uh, mostly. They used to do it anyway. And now more recently, in the current Tomorrow's World magazine, we have eight words that will improve your life by Mr. Davis. And again, that got an excellent response on our website. Eight words that will improve your life. So I hope you've read that in the current Tomorrow's World magazine. Turn to uh, Proverbs uh, 15, verse 26. Proverbs 15, uh, verse 26. I already just quoted verse 1. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the eternal, but words of the pure are pleasant. Or as Moffat says, crafty schemes are loathsome to the eternal, but friendly words are a delight to him. Your words reflect your character. Are you trying to improve your character? Are you trying to improve your language and your vocabulary? You know, there was, uh, was it in the 60s where we had the hippies and, you know, the hippie language, the whole realm of vocabulary consisted of four words. Like man, you know. Like man, you know. You know, like man. 
And that was the communication that was going on. I told my students at uh, my speech classes uh, they might use the word nice. Now, they say that that's nice. Well, that, that is nice. Nice is a generic word. But is there, are there any other specific words that you can replace for the word nice that are more descriptive? I was complimenting someone here in the office on, on her pink um, uh, jacket. And uh, I said, no, no, women don't, wouldn't call that pink. What do you call it? Raspberry. So they have a more specific vocabulary when it comes to, to colors. Men, we're, we're too, too primitive in that area. But we do need to upgrade. I used to tell the students, upgrade the level of your expression. And in our spokesman club, we have the uh, whole section on uh, vocabulary and get the dictionary habit. So I hope that all of us will learn to uh, grow in that particular area. Um, in six weeks to Words of Power, which is a vocabulary book we've used in speech classes, Wilfred Funk wrote, quote, success and vocabulary go hand in hand. This has been proved so often that it is no longer admits of argument. I have done vocabulary testing for innumerable business concerns, almost without exception. The results were remarkable, a remarkable indication of the salaries received. Even the vocabularies and the pay of the secretaries of executives usually follow the same ascending scale as that of the positions of the bosses whom they serve. In one outfit that I remember well, the two lowest-paid girls were poorest in vocabulary. He says the great American educator, Dr. John Dewey, said, quote, Thought is impossible without words. Thomas Sheridan, British actor 200 years ago, quote, There is such an intimate connection between ideas and words that whatever deficiency or fault there may be in the one necessarily affects the other. So again, I'd like to encourage you to uh, increase your vocabulary. Some of you know about the Human Engineering Lab or the Johnson O'Connor Research Foundation. Uh, Many of our ambassador students took their aptitude test in the 70s. It's a a three-and-a-half-day Today, a three-and-a-half-day inventory, uh, three-and-a-half hours, no, two three-and-a-half-hour sessions with a third appointment of 90 minutes. And the cost is about $600. They have 10 offices, one in Atlanta. What they've done since the 1920s is to uh, test or to inventory 19 inherited aptitudes and uh, individuals, uh, students found out, oh, I'm high in this aptitude, and they'll say, well, you could have a career in this area because you have these high aptitudes. But what they have found is that one variable is not an inherited aptitude. And I'll just quote from the uh, Johnson O'Connor Research Foundation. People can have many aptitudes, but without a large and precise English vocabulary, it's for English speakers, of course, To express themselves, they cannot take full advantage of these abilities, their inherited aptitudes. Unlike aptitudes, vocabulary is not a natural ability. It can be improved if one is willing to make the effort to do so. I have in our library here, this is uh, two volumes. This is just volume one of Johnson O'Connor English Vocabulary Builder. And uh, it starts off with... Words known to all 13-year-olds. Words known to all 16-year-olds. Unknown, then it goes on, unknown 
to just 2%, the most common words, and then on up to, uh, in this particular volume, unknown to 26%. So the idea was that you find your borderline of vocabulary, and then you're to build on it from then on. So once you master this book, you will uh, be on your way. So, uh, But the point is that God has given us the ability to communicate, and we should be increasing our knowledge. To, you know, because uh, I'm uh, over 50 years of age doesn't mean I stop learning. We always learn, continue to learn, and to grow even till uh, the day we die. So God has given us the gift of language. We need to use it to His honor and glory. Let's turn to Romans, the 10th chapter. Romans 10. We use it in preaching the gospel. And the Apostle Paul said here in Romans 10, starting with verse 13, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, that was one of my first questions coming into the church. Well, of course, it's depending on how you call on the name of the Lord. And you put the other scriptures together, you have to call upon him in faith, in truth, humility, and being willing to change. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace with bring, and who bring glad tidings of good things. So all of us are active in supporting the good news, the preaching of the gospel around the world. So prepare your feet for the Passover. And when you think about the uh, washing of the feet ceremony, uh, think about the, how beautiful are the feet of those that preach the gospel, and all of you are having a, a part in it. Let's turn to Psalm 141, two scriptures in closing. Psalm 141, and these, uh, one of my prayers that I pray often, or at least an excerpt from Psalm 141. Eternal, I cry out to you. Make haste to me. Give ear to my voice when I cry out to you. Let my prayer be set before you as incense. The lifting up of my hands is the evening sacrifice. Verse 3, Set a guard, O Eternal, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. And I pray that quite frequently. And I sometimes I don't pray it, and something comes out of my uh, some words that shouldn't, uh, shouldn't have come out. But just think of a guard. See, thinking you're speaking, and here's a, a man with a sword, you know, standing right at your mouth. And if your tongue comes out with the wrong words, whap, you know, set a guard at my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Make sure that the door doesn't open unless there are good words and appropriate words coming out. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men who work iniquity, and do not let me eat of their delicacies. Let the righteous strike me, it shall be a kindness. Let him rebuke me, it shall be as excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it, for still my prayer is against the deeds of the wicked. He's willing to be corrected. He's willing to be taught and set on a right path. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. The other principle is brought out here in Psalm 19. Psalm 19, starting with verse 13. I know it's... uh, Mr. Ruddleston is one of Mr. Ruddleston's favorite scriptures. At least part of it here. Verse 13, Psalm 19. 
Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall not, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. That's a common prayer and one that we ought to be praying regularly and asking God's guidance that we can think right, we can meditate correctly, we can communicate with words of truth and help others. So God has given us the gift of language. Words are powerful. They can kill, they can wound, or they can inspire. They can educate and they can heal. In the back of this book, 30 Days to Taming Your Tongue, is an anonymous poem called The Power of Words. A careless word may kindle strife. A cruel word may wreck a life. A bitter word may hate instill. A brutal word may smite and kill. A gracious word may smooth the way. A joyous word may light the day. A timely word may lessen stress. A loving word may heal and bless. So Jesus said, For every idle word men shall speak, they will give account for in the day of judgment. So we have an awesome responsibility with the gift of language God has given us. He wants us to use that gift to his honor and to his glory. God's people have a mission to preach the gospel. And if we collectively and individually fulfill that mission, we will be speaking the truth in love. And what will that action produce? Many will be turned to righteousness, as it tells us in Daniel 12, in verse 3. And we will be conformed to the word of life who has made flesh, Jesus Christ. So, brethren, let's honor God faithfully using his gift of language, and let us speak the truth in love always.